Hey, I'm Jesse. We, in our study of Nehemiah, in conjunction with our building campaign, originally at the Redemption Church for the Revival Project, and hey, hopefully to the glory of God and the future use of this content for the kingdom, if you're using JCM content at your church, man, for your building campaign too. We've arrived at chapter four, and Nehemiah and his team have done a great job of just allocating portions of the wall as to who would rebuild what, and it's really, really cool. It seems like no stone is being left unturned. Uh, not everything's being done totally to perfection. Stay tuned to the end of the book, but the work's being done. It is happening. And so when, when something's happening, there's always gonna be opposition. In fact, if there's no opposition, it's probably because you're not doing anything. So we're gonna meet Sanballat in chapter four. This will come up again in our sermon this weekend, but I wanted to delve into some of the nuanced wording of the accusation being made. Here's chapter four, verse one. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of the rubble? Then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was beside him said, indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. So this mockery that Sanballat is making, in the original Hebrew, uh, there are a couple of interpretations as to exactly what he means. In verse two, when he said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? In the original Hebrew of the question, like, will they offer sacrifices? It seems like he's asking, are they gonna make sacrifices and worship their God and their God's gonna help them rebuild this thing? And then the second question, can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of the rubble? This evokes the question about the ruined stones from the original captivity back in 586 BC. And he seems to be mocking them for trying to take and piecemeal together from what was already destroyed, something that uh, couldn't be strong again, and hence uh, Tobiah's contribution. Like even if a fox were to walk up and he would knock it down. Uh, the original Hebrew isn't entirely clear. I think the CSB team did a good job of translating it this way. What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of the rubble and then and then Tobias uh, I, th I think that they I think that they do accurately render some of the criticisms being levied at Nehemiah and the team Nehemiah and the team were trying to do something that was of grand scale and anytime somebody accomplishes something uh, that is of of notable and historical like like historic scale they're going to face opposition from those who don't have the same kind of vision who consider their audacity a grandiosity complex. So Nehemiah had to have known this was coming. Now he's gonna pray, starting in verse four. He's gonna pray, you see a couple of prayers out of the book of Nehemiah. He's gonna, he's gonna bring God to bear upon this situation. Um, but I, I wanted you to know that as you, as you and I together, as, as we endeavor to do something that is audacious, that is costly, that is difficult, we're going to face opposition. Uh, you're going to, because such an act of faith carries with it an audacity. And that audacity need not be rooted in our own faith in ourselves, that's misplaced. But that audacity is actually 
faith in a great God who's able to do miraculous things. I can tell you from right now, currently where we're at with uh, the Redemption Church and our building campaign, that we've already experienced favor from God that is incredible and miraculous. Uh, it is amazing to see what God has done in the most expensive housing market uh, in America next to San Francisco. I think we're I think we're in the second right now at the time of recording. Uh, that a church plant our size and as young as we are would be able to even bid on a piece of property uh, is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It's nothing short of miraculous. Uh, we're already experiencing favor from God and we're anticipating the pushback. We're anticipating the difficulty. Okay, wherever you are in your building campaign, whether you're part of the Redemption Church or some other building campaign, just know that it's gonna come. You're gonna face opposition from the enemy. You're gonna face opposition from people who think that they're doing the right thing. You're gonna face opposition perhaps from your local municipality and zoning ordinances and things like that. You're gonna face opposition from contractors or construction workers or people who just show up and then leave and they don't complete their work. You're gonna face opposition. I'll tell you a quick story. We helped plant churches in Brazil through the denomination that I was, I was a part of the Southern Baptist Convention and the International Mission Board, which is the missions arm of the Southern Baptists, was giving us the funds and, and building materials and everything that we needed to be able to purchase property and then build a physical church on a plot of land in uh, a town in Brazil uh, called Montes Claros, meaning Clear Mountains. And there was this lady who was the leader of a spiritist center directly across the street from the empty lot. She came out and she was, you know, in all of her regalia and was well known. And, and uh, she was famous because two Brazilian soap opera stars had committed suicide in her spiritist center. And she told us as we were surveying the lot, you're never going to get this land because I put a curse on it. Fast forward one year later, the spiritist center is closed and the church was built. <laughs> so you're going to face opposition. Don't crumble immediately. Don't just fold right away. Okay, like when you get into, when, when you start talking about claiming ground for the gospel, especially in a city like Seattle, you're smacking a demon, man. Okay, you're picking a fight with the devil. Like when you, when you put on boxing gloves and you get in the ring and then the bell rings, don't get all shocked when the other dude punches you. Why did he hit me? Why is he punching? Why would he do that? Because you picked a fight with him, man. Like you signed up for this. This is not, this is not a spiritually benign enterprise. This is an act of aggression on the part of the kingdom of God against forces of evil. So don't, don't be all shocked when you get socked in the mouth because of this endeavor. Other churches in the past have, do, have done this. God brought them through. Nehemiah and his team went through this and they faced opposition. See chapter four, verses one through three. God brought them through, he can bring us through. But we're gonna anticipate it. A boxer gets in the ring expecting to get punched in the face. So don't get all shocked and don't wither and tap out the very first time you take a jab, okay? Deal? You with me, Redemption Church? Let's do this.